Welcome back to Amplifying Voices, a FAC anthology podcast on partisan politics, policies, history, people, and California community colleges. The podcast is brought to you by the Communications Committee for the Faculty Association of California Community Colleges. I'm your host, Ryan Tripp. Welcome to my co-host, Amy Leonard. Hey, Ryan. Great to be back. So we'll be chatting today with Dave Bulk, community college faculty and a committee member who authored articles on classroom AI and bots. Welcome, Dave, to the podcast. Oh, thank you, Ryan. All right. So first off, Please give us your, uh, if you can, uh, what are your community college instructional and administrative background narratives here? Well, I'm so old. <laughs> I started teaching back at Compton College, and my hourly rate was $10 an hour. I won't even tell you what year that was, but I retired from the sheriff's department in 1985 and accepted a full-time position at Rio Hondo. And I've been there since then. Wow, that's great. How did you become involved in <laughs> online teaching? And how long have you been teaching in the online classroom? Well, actually, one of our deans, Frank Patino, came back from a conference. And this would have been about one, 1996 or seven. And he said, I just went to a conference. And they're talking about online education. Maybe we should look into it. And that's where the whole thing began. And I went through the whole thing of, well, is there a difference between correspondent schools and online education? So we uh, sort of fought that battle. But we actually uh, began offering online classes, I think about 1998. We started out, I think, with about three classes. And we had to uh, discuss it with the administration that if we cancel these, it will kill the program. So we need to be committed and let them go even if they're small enrollments. So the college was behind it, and the Dean Frank Patino was behind it. We started out, and it grew from there. And I've been teaching online ever since then. And I love teaching online. Thanks, Dave. Uh, when did you first encounter bots in your online classroom, as well as AI? Uh, did your college provide any guidance on how to handle both of them? Well, well, it's interesting because when ChatGPT came out in November of last, last year, I really liked technology. I looked at that and I thought, this is going to be great because it does a lot of things that Google does, but it seemed to be a little more intuitive. <clears throat> but like any particularly technology, it comes with this dark side too. So on the positive side, it worked out great and it be, makes it very easy to do uh, research and items, because if you give it the right statements, they'll even give you the uh, references and sources. But again, like anything else, you have to make sure you verify it because it will make up answers, which is pretty funny thing is it's a technological instant. I almost think it has a sense of humor, but that's something for a different discussion, I guess. But my first encouragement with it was we were dealing with low enrollments after the pandemic. And so classes were going 20, 20 plus in that area. All of a sudden, all my classes filled up. We have a cap because of the writing requirements of 35 students each class. I had eight classes, all eight classes at 35 students. It never happened before. So I thought, you know, there's, there's something going on here. Either that I'm the best instructor in the world or people want to hear me 
or there's something going on. So we started looking into it and we found out that a lot of the students, their first and last name were the same. Now that's not impossible to occur, but when you look at a class and you'll have 10 or 15 students whose first names and last names are the same, you begin to kind of wonder if there's something going on. Well, at that point, the college has already started to investigate. There have been several articles written about uh, false students or phantom students. Matter of fact, I think the article here, uh, oh, I can't find it right now, but California, there was a tremendous uh, discussion about whether or not these are actually students and where the financial aid was going. So we began looking at it as a college and it kind of evolved from there. This last semester, the uh, went through the registrations and the college dropped over 600 students that they identified as not really students. And we went through our first couple of weeks and we started measuring whether or not people were logging in or if they logged in more than once. And then we began dropping students from there. And my guess, and that's only a guess, that probably about a third of the students I was dealing with at that point were really not students. They were actually families. Wow. So do you have any tips for faculty on how they could spot bots in their class or how they might create assignments or protocols in their class to help uh, weed out these bots so they can be working with actual students? There's actually a couple of things to do because bots are just a, a computer program. So if you ask it to have an opinion, they'll often come back with, I'm an artificial intelligence or AI program, and I don't have opinions. We actually had a student submit that as an assignment, which was pretty funny. So apparently they went online, used chat, and asked for something, had an opinion, and they just did a cut and paste it. So the assignment says, I'm an AI, I don't have opinions. Of course, the student was a little embarrassed when it was brought to, uh, to his attention about that. But number one, they don't have opinions. So if you ask them questions that, that ask for opinions, they really struggle with it. Now, it doesn't mean they can't make up an opinion. Because there is a thing going around called hallucinations, where the, uh, the chat or the bot will actually make up an answer that really is false. And even if you ask it for the source, it will give you a source that looks legitimate. But if you try to find it, it doesn't exist. So it's kind of a, a cat and mouse game play with it. The second thing we found out is that they don't deal well with pictures. So I have a quiz that they take to begin with. The first quiz ask them some opinion items, and they have a picture of an animal, and I'll say of the four choices, which animal is this? And invariably, they'll miss the uh, the answer. So these are ways that you can work around it and, uh, and make it. But in general, if you look at the literature, they've discovered, and we've experienced these in the past, things called chat or chapped, I guess, correct pronunciation. But these are these programs where when you try to log in, it'll show you a picture. And quite often it's multiple pictures. And it'll say, click on the frames that have a traffic light or a car or something like that. And then you'll see other ones where you click, so that I'm not a robot. And so these are those attempts to uh, get at the early entry point, but they can work around it. They, they can uh, fake it. The other thing would be multi-factor identification where you actually expect the student to provide ID, some kind of government ID, or possibly uh, go online on Zoom or one of the uh, video conferencing ones. 
But again, like with any of those, the problem is now it has some negative effects on real students. So if you have a student that, uh, you know, doesn't have a government ID, you know, they have to then go get an ID. So they made some additional problems with it. Uh, pictures, uh, students that are visually impaired would have difficulty with that. So even though there are ways to identify it, each one of those comes with kind of a negative or a downside. But I think the important thing to realize we're at the very beginning of this whole adventure. And to me, I find it interesting and exciting. So in your experience with AI and bots, has there been any uh, major changes, particularly since the uh, the pandemic? And uh, how uh, should we how should we address such changes? And what are the significance of any? Again, it comes with two things. One is the positive side or the chat programs, because they do offer really good resources uh, for doing research. And some of them are actually pretty good in helping you through writing style. But on the dark side is that we know that some of these are, are not real students. And what they do is they take away from the financial aid that's available for real students. So I think we're at this point, we just really have to be very, very aware of it and realize it's like any target that's moving, it's constantly changing us. Yeah, I think you're totally right about that. I mean, especially with as AI progresses, it's almost everything we know about it last week is going to be archaic as we move forward. So trying to craft policies is really difficult. So on that idea, how are you training students to work with AI in your class in an effective way that you think will be useful for them as they go forward in their classes? I know one of the things that we did at our college, <clears throat> I'm on the committee, uh, that we wanted all faculty to put an AI uh, comment in their syllabus, making students aware that, yes, we are aware of, and that this does pose a good resource for you, just like doing Google for searches, but also at all, you need to make sure that you're not relying totally on it, that you have the ultimate responsibility for the written work you turn it. I know there was some effort at some point of uh, identifying programs that would look at these writings and give you feedback or whether or not it believed it was an AI generated document. But the problem with that is those are again, not very accurate. So you don't want to accuse a student of plagiarism because it's a very serious issue or doing something uh, violating department of policy. I think right now, again, we're still in that, that moving target range. We need to, come up with policies of work that recognize it is a resource, but it also does have some limitations. Have you have you talked to uh, students at length about AI, um, both in your classes and elsewhere, um, about, you know, how, if they use it, how, uh, whether or not they should, you mentioned the uh, state, the syllabus statement um, on AI, but <laughs> have, uh, other than the, the, the syllabi, have you uh, engaged with students or anything of the kind regarding AI? Well, that's, that's an interesting question because I assumed that the students would be very much aware of it at the very beginning. And I'm discovering that probably less than half the students I talk to are really aware of uh, this, the AI programs that are available. Now, the other half of those, probably about half of them are actively using it. The others are kind of aware of it. They think it's, uh, maybe a useful tool, but they really aren't comfortable. So again, the students are kind of in the same position we're in. 
This is all brand new to them, and everybody's kind of learning from it. So I think the most important thing we can do as faculty is make sure they understand that it is a tool and it's a useful tool, but be sure that they understand its limitations and that they ultimately have the responsibility for whatever written work that they turn in. So I heard that you actually were writing a textbook and that you used AI to help you out. Uh, you want to tell us a little bit about how that process went and uh, what you learned from it? Well, it was interesting because one of the uh, one of my colleagues and I were talking about it and said, I wonder how difficult it would be to use AI to write a textbook. And so we thought, well, how about a book on decision making? So the first thing we asked the AI program was, give me a, a outline for a 10 chapter book focusing on decision after the pandemic. And so it churned and it kicked out a, a pretty, pretty good outline. So then we took the first section of it and began to expand it for each one of the sections. And so over the time period, we actually created the book, it took us about a month to actually create the book, uh, working out part-time. Same effort would have taken probably six months doing it in the, uh, the traditional way. Now, is the book any good? I don't know. Yeah, I'll leave that to your discussion. It was a fun endeavor. We enjoyed it. And uh, I don't expect to make any money. It's on Amazon. And I've given out a lot of free copies just because it was an interesting experience on my part. I like to get the feedback. The people that get it to seem to enjoy it. We all made sure that we actually interjected some humor as we went through the uh, the book and made clear up front that this was generated by artificial intelligence in collaboration with two humans. You, you've addressed topics that are pretty directly connected to the article um, alluded to earlier. Uh, can you tell? Can you elaborate a little bit more about your arguments in that article, as well as the evidence and the process you took in uh, in uh, drafting the article? Yeah, the uh, the articles were kind of my effort to bring myself up to speed on what the topic was, and I found over the years if I want to learn something, I need to write about it because that forces me the discipline of doing the research. So the first one that that uh, actually came up with was one called the AI Revolution, Chat GPT's Influence on Education and Integrity. And there's where I tried to look at some of the issues of the development. How did it begin to develop? Where is it in the development stage? And what's gonna be the impact on education? And I found that uh, I thought it, this would be an early stage of research, but I found there's already been a lot written about it. There a lot of people were aware that when it hit the ground running in November of last year, uh, I think across the system, a lot of people in the education environment realized, you know, here's something that's gonna change, uh, almost like taking a statistics class and being the first one with a pocket calculator, which I actually, I did one time. <laughs> it was interesting. I, I can still calculate the square root. But then I published another article, and this was on more focusing on the uh, the ghosts themselves, on ghost students, and the rise of bots in online education. Trying to get kind of a handle about what's happening in terms of this, and how are these things impacting us, and what's the potential? So to me, it was a very interesting experience, and I uh, I enjoyed doing it. I I just enjoy writing anyhow. So going forward, I think one of the main things to our listeners would be interested in is uh, what kind of policies do you think, if any, colleges should be pursuing sort of broadly about 
um, bots as well as AI. Do you think this is something that could be a policy that could go forward with? You seem to have done a lot of research on it and maybe you have some suggestions. I think that the administration really needs to address it on a campus-wide basis. Actually, the community college system, I think, really needs to address it so that we're not individually uh, dealing with it separately. And if you want to look at a model, I think the same model that we would have for plagiarism. We need to be upfront about what it is and make sure that we are clear in our definition. And also the rationale of why this has the potential of being useful, but also has the potential of causing some particularly academic integrity issues and problems. The, uh, as we see in the newspaper or in the articles, it's uh, nothing's worse than being accused of, of uh, plagiarism. And I think this has the same, the same potential that people will use it and yet not be clear that they're actually using it as a tool. So from that point of view, I think administration needs to be clear about the plan. What is it? Uh, what's the appropriateness of its use? And what do we do in terms of the disclosure of its use? Because to me, the disclosure is the important thing. You need to be upfront about it. I noticed with the book, we went to Amazon to publish it. They actually have a whole program now of clarifying whether or not it's been used, with used AI as part of the publication. So they're right on target. So I try to make sure that everything I do, I'm clear that if I'm doing it with AI, this in collaboration with one of the programs, and I tried to indicate which program I use because each one has different strengths and weaknesses. Dave, you may or may not have a real experience with this, but have you encountered any specific cases that you'd like to share? You've shared quite a bit of examples, but um, regarding students and or faculty or colleagues getting in trouble using AI, whether or not it has to do with academic integrity or uh, it has to do with uh, miscommunication or anything. Do you have any cases on, on your mind? Well, actually, for the faculty position, all the faculty members I've dealt with that are aware of and using AI are very clear in their own minds about what it is. And I think the model that most of them use is a plagiarism model. We have to be very clear about what is my work and what is the work that was created by other than myself and giving credit to it, actually giving credit to the specific AI program that, that you're using because each one has its own strengths or weaknesses. The students, uh, like I said, it's been kind of a mixed bag. I thought that students would be very much aware of it and I'm finding probably a half or maybe less than half of them were even aware of it. And if they are, it's kind of like they've heard about it, but they're not pretty sure what it is. And those that have heard about it, um, maybe half or less of those are actually actively using it. And so far, we've had, had some funny examples where they, so like the best one was the one, I'm an AI programmer, I don't have an opinion. Well, the student was not an AI program, but obviously you just did a cut and plate paste as they went across. So one of the first things we do on the faculty I'm dealing with in our very first assignment, we make it very clear that if you're using it, be sure and make sure that you're clear in terms of your use and what part of it has contributed to that. And then also make ourselves available to talk on it. And I've actually had a student's uh, conference call with me and discuss the use of it. But again, we're right in the very beginnings of this. It's only really been very active since about the first of uh, 
Well, since chat came up. How did that conference call go? How did it happen? Actually, well, they've all gone really well. I mean, it's, it, the ones that you talk to are the ones that get excited about technology. And I think that the ones that uh, I've talked to were already using Google for searches, uh, Google Scholar, you know, to find scholarly peer-reviewed uh, documents. And what I've tried to do is give them some hints about things to do. And always warn them, never accept the reference that the program gives you because it will make them up. Always be sure that, that you take it, you go back and try to find that source. And if you can't find the source, I've actually turned AI on itself where I've asked it to, to actually verify these sources, take one program to do it, I'll go to another program, put those in there, and ask them to find the source. And they'll come back, this source doesn't even exist. Or it'll get one that's very close to it. So you can play them off against each other, which I, I can enjoy. Which probably tells you more about me than you need to know. So, <laughs> Final question on this one. You've mentioned a lot about how the uh, AI is different and has different strengths that work for it. Do you have a recommendation for which one works better and in what occasions that faculty could also share with their students? Well, the first thing is look for the free ones because uh, there are a number of them they want to charge and the fees are usually about $20 or less. And I've subscribed to a couple of them and then canceled it because they weren't really, to me, they weren't providing anything more than what I was getting for free. But the one that I really have been working with and really enjoy is Claude, C-L-A-U-D-E. And then probably my next favorite one would be uh, uh, Bard, B-A-R-D, because Bard is tied in with Google. So it brings in the strengths of Google. And then Bing is another one. And I noticed just recently that uh, Microsoft now is, is getting a program attached to the document itself. But I think the important thing is, is uh, using more than one, because each one has its own strength. The biggest problem with the original chat program is all the data that they had programmed it with was, uh, I think, about three or four years old. So we wouldn't get anything current. Now, the advantage of uh, BART, and particularly BART, is it tends really to get the most current documents because it's tied in with Google. So if it's available, uh, that's available. And I found a couple of them who told me they couldn't find it. It wasn't on the internet, and I went to a different one, and it found the source. That's it's almost like they have little personalities, which I know they don't, but it's funny. Although I do catch myself saying thank you at the end of the search. But but that's old school, I guess. But I really, I really like Claude right now, C-L-A-U-D-E. And what do you like best about it? Just the fact that it's, it seems to be very intuitive in, in its use. So I'll ask you to expand on uh, something. It'll always end with a suggestion for another expansion. So not only does it answer what I've asked for, it offers me suggestions for a further search. Have you uh, you provided guidance and advice and examples? Are there any uh, readings or uh, videos? You've already recommended a couple that oh. that our uh, listeners uh, could really uh, benefit from. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna like this answer. I would go right to Claude and type in "find me videos." Good answer. But oh, there's so much out there. I mean, it really is a total wealth of information that's available. It's almost uh, 
almost overpowering me to stop and think about it. I'm amazed when I can't find something. And usually it's because I haven't really uh, framed it correctly in terms of a question or haven't used the right words. Do you have any uh, favorites or other than Claude? <laughs> Do you have any uh, well, like papers said, or anything that's helpful? Well, that kind of changes. <laughs> Probably maybe every couple of weeks I'll find something different. I mean, I'm just amazed how many programs are out there. But like I said, typically I'll start with Claude right now because that seems to be the more intuitive and the friendlier for me to use. And then I'll go from that to being a bard and then maybe go back to Claude and have it verify it. But I like to trade them off against each other. It's almost like having three experts in a room and asking a question and then asking the other expert, what do you think about that answer? Would you expand on it or do you think there's some flaws that I getting ready for today, I went into Claude and I said, if you're going to identify bots and work against them, what would you do? And it started coming up with all these great hints of different things to uh, to do. So it will it will tell you how to work against itself, which I think is marvelous. I, and I don't think it's going to take over the world any more than the pocket <laughs> calculator did or the word processor. Um, so do you have any uh, future recommendations? Uh, what do you think the future holds for AI and bots? Oh, I just see it getting better and better. I think the problem, there was a movie out called Wally. I don't know if you remember it or not, but it was a, yeah, a, I kind of a movie. light science fiction. And they're going someplace in a spaceship. Well, they've been on this trip for so long that they've lost the ability to walk around. They've all gotten fat and lazy, and they're on these little chairs that float around. And I think the only danger is that this is going to make us a little fat and lazy. I, I can remember going to the library while I was working my dissertation with a pocket full of change, going to the card catalog, <laughs> going finding the resource, going to the Xerox machine, making copies of it, cutting it, pasting it in a big sheet of paper, later on typing it. So, and uh, I would never do that again. I don't have to do that. I haven't been in a library I don't know how long. So I think the only danger is it will make us kind of lazy. And, and uh, But maybe it will make us sharper too. I don't know. I, if I could see the future, I'd be rich. But... <laughs> Definitely does provide a lot of opportunities for everybody. Um, just final thought on that one, because you mentioned there's a lot of people who seem to be making policies or thinking about it in a sort of negative idea. Is there any way to sort of like help faculty, students, and administrators realize that this is probably not Terminator or The Matrix or whatever other sci-fi thing that they're horrified by? And there's going to be a be Terminator used. AI. <laughs> yeah, Terminator AI, exactly. <laughs> Well, see, it, it could be. I mean, I don't know. My, my my son, who's a bit of a philosopher, reminds me that I can't read the future, nor can I read people's minds. And I disagree with him sometimes. But but no, it, it could potentially have a dark side. I mean, who really knows what the future holds? But to me right now, it's just another logical step in the sequence of information technology. And if we look back and or typically looking back at history, we do a much better job of seeing what's going on. But if you look back at the development of word processor programs, uh, there's a program out called Paper Reader 
which is a pretty good program for analyzing your writing, making recommendations for increasing your writing skills, uh, all the various programs that will tell you whether or not you've appropriately referenced the people that you've sourced. Uh, so it's, to me, it's just another step in that, that link. And uh, we faculty are actually getting pretty energized about it. Uh, there were a couple of things that happened at my college, which I was kind of surprised. <clears throat> but we had an AI task force, and the purpose was to make sure that we had a syllabus comment about AI and what the school expected. And so that was a recommendation. Once we did that, then they said, well, we don't need a meeting anymore. And I'm going to wait a minute, I, I think we just touched the top of the iceberg. But uh, that's just my opinion, and I can't go any further. Otherwise, this, we'll get back to my college, and I'll be in a whole lot of trouble. <laughs> but I just keep encouraging that we need to continue to look at it. <laughs> and I ask questions. Uh, so sometimes I get answers to, and sometimes I don't, which is okay. <laughs> Do you have any uh, final thoughts or anything on the rise of AI? You know what? I wish I could anticipate what's going to be the next step because it's developing so fast. That's the, the part that's interesting. But like I said, it's kind of like hitting a moving target because about the time you think you've got a handle on something new pops up. So I'm just waiting for the next step. But right now, to me, it's pretty interesting. It's pretty exciting. And to me, it's a great tool used in a proper way. But again, it's, it's not a replacement for the the actual research. It's just another tool. And the key is making sure you verify all the information, more than one source, just like you would have anything else. If Ryan Tripp told me something, I would think it's probably true, but you know what? I'm going to ask Amy. Amy, what do you think? <laughs> Ryan told me this. <laughs> and I get another resource, another uh, bit of information. That's a Ryan. great strategy. Ryan is full of. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I would never say that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that does it for this episode, folks. Dave, uh, thanks for joining us. Hey, my pleasure. And uh, stand by for a ride. This is going to get exciting, even more than it is, I think. It's always exciting with you, Dave. Uh, so, uh, Amy, thanks for joining uh, me as co-host. Thanks for having me, and thanks, David, for all the great information. All right. Uh, this has been a production of the Communications Committee for the Cal Faculty Association of California Community Colleges. Uh, this is Amplifying Voices, a Fact Anthology podcast. Please tune in next time. Thanks for joining us.